0: Well, good morning. I appreciate Clint leading us in that time and creating some space for us to just set our hearts before the Lord. Um, I wanted you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, as we get this new year off, I've set aside a few passages and sermons to start the year to think about personal and corporate vision together. And uh, we're going to do that and then Uh, somewhere around the third week of January, jump back into our series on the book of Romans. So uh, a few weeks to focus us here at the beginning of the year on some of the things we need to begin to think about as we take on 2020. And to do that, I wanted to start with Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, and look at this together today. It says in verse 28, And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Over the holidays, we were having some fun with my extended family with some conversation cards. That may not sound fun to some of you. Conversations with family. The cards have questions on them that can prompt interesting discussions and even maybe some entertaining moments. And uh, one of the questions that we pulled out was a simple question, if your house was on fire, what two items would you make sure to grab before you left? I want you to take a second to think about that. If your house was on fire, what two items would you make sure to grab Before you left? Well, as you can imagine, there were a variety of answers that ranged from piggy banks full of unsuspected amounts of cash to sentimental items like picture books or other memory items that can't be replaced with another copy, which makes pretty good sense, doesn't it? Now, it seems like a purely theoretical exercise, but several years ago, right around Christmas, our friends, the Pelts, had such a house fire and lost nearly everything that they owned in one evening. Questions like this one may seem trivial, but they do represent to us an opportunity to consider what is really most valuable to us. You know, when everything's on fire, what are we going to grab? What are we going to save? What do we care about most deeply? What would you grab and why? You know, in some sense, when when people look back on 2020 and 2021, it sounds to me like a group of people looking back on a house fire. Anybody else feel this way? I read Dave Barry's year in review last night. It was like 20 minutes long of him outlining a house fire. I mean, this is the way, like, if you kind of listen to the end of the year, I I enjoy the sort of the New Year's Eve stuff, you know, where it's like the best 10 of these, you know, best 10 books, the best 10 songs, the best 10 memes of 2021. And, uh, you know, in some sense, the reality is this year, it seemed like everybody was looking back saying, I can't believe 2021 was nearly as bad as 2020. Or at least so many people feel that way. The many things that populated their ambitions and goals at the start went up in a ball of smoke during a tumultuous time, maybe personally or, or corporately, and we've, we've been faced, all of us in some degree, with asking the question, at the end of years like that, what is really most important to us? What did we survive with? What have we come out of these last few years of trying moments and challenges and shake-up? What did we exit those years with? It's a pertinent and important question. We've been faced, in some degree, with asking the question, what is most important to us? When other things are on the chopping block, which things really matter? Well, as we navigate life here at the beginning of 2022, it would be wise for us to consider what the greatest things to focus on would be as we make decisions about how to engage the time before us. We arrive at the doorstep of a fresh year, and in some sense, this is a time of year appropriately that we set aside because God has given seasons and a calendar and a shape and a rhythm to our life such that this one has a feeling of newness, and we begin and we look and we think about how we are going to engage the coming year and we have a responsibility to consider what is most important as we think about that what are the greatest things to focus on now of course many people make resolutions this time of year and evaluate their priorities kind of get a raise a hand of people who've made some sort of resolution Wow, like one? One person made a resolution. Okay, we got a few. Others are unwilling to admit it in case we are going to ask you to answer them. Others have given up on resolutions altogether. Fair? But many people make resolutions this time of year, and if they don't do that, they evaluate their priorities. They think about the things that matter. They at least take some time to reflect on what's most important. Now, some of these things may be trivial, but others are more serious. And here's the question, you know, and here's what we need to think about. If unexpected things happen, and much of what you have envisioned for this year goes up in smoke, what are the few things that you want to salvage on the way out because they are of chief importance? The truth is I believe that we don't get to control a great deal of the circumstances of our lives and much of what we will face in 2022 remains unseen and you have no idea what awaits. The challenges could be More significant than the ones you've faced in the past. You could face difficulties that you only imagined you would ever have to walk through in life. And it's very difficult to understand how the flow of circumstances personally, nationally, and globally may affect your life this year. But there are decisions we get to make about what we will emphasize, what we will care about, how we will prepare ourselves to respond, what we will consecrate our time to, what we will give our lives for in a year like 2022, and we have a responsibility to steward that by asking the question, what things are of greatest importance? The passage we read provides some insight from Jesus on how we should think about this question. Jesus is faced with a question aimed at determining the chief priority of the Old Testament instruction. What is the greatest commandment? Now we were we were reading this, this just yesterday uh, as we were thinking a little bit about some goals for a particular aspect of our life and, and the coming year and things we wanted to to talk about. We were just having a conversation. We read this passage, and when we got to the point of ask, at the question where the scribe asked, What is the greatest commandment? I stopped and I just asked around our table, How do you think Jesus is going to answer that before everybody looked at it? Of course, I knew probably some of the older kids, and uh, Annie knew the answer. But one of our children answered, It's got to be obey your parents. Yeah, all right, somebody, we got some people cheering on that one. And uh, we kind of went around, we talked about it a little bit, we asked, we got it in our head, and then we answered the question, and she said, oh, phew, I'm glad it's not that. (laughs) But isn't it interesting that in this passage, Jesus takes the time to answer a question, what is the greatest priority we can have? Some of you might feel good to find out what it's not. It might be renewed to be able to simplify your life and focus on what it is. Jesus answers the question, and I believe that His answer can help us focus here at the beginning of this year on establishing the right sort of priorities and resolve to engage 2022 with clear eyes and a hopeful heart of faith as we seek the Lord. You know, most New Year's resolutions, most of the commitments that we make in life or most of these sort of consecrated moments or decisions we have fail because they fail to make a real impact, don't they? They often can fail to make an impact. That's why making resolutions has become something of a cultural joke, even though we keep trying and we keep falling short. Last night as I was getting ready for bed, I I saw... Uh, a meme that said there's still time to catch up on your 2022 Bible reading plan. Some of you fell behind on January 1st. And we feel that way. And you know, most res- New Year's resolutions fail to make an impact because of this. You know, first of all, they're aimed at the wrong goals. Even if you were to accomplish them, they wouldn't really matter all that much in the grand scope of eternity. They ignore important aspects of who we are. You know, you know, we can cultivate things that are really insignificant and, and not really understand what it takes for our lives to thrive and flourish. They're often focused on the things we're most interested in rather than the things that we need to be able to grow and flourish. They also avoid a real assessment of our weakness. We set goals and we make priorities without considering why we have failed in the past at these same sort of things, what new ideas we need, how it is we need to change our thinking, why we're stuck in the same ruts that we've always been stuck in, because we lack sometimes the courage to make real assessments of our weakness. Here is how this little exchange between Jesus and this scribe can really help us. As we look ahead to a year of pursuing genuine growth, fueled by the Spirit of God and empowered by the Word of God, it teaches us to address these things and to prioritize what really matters. Let's just talk a little bit about what Jesus prioritizes and how it gives insight as we set our sights on this year. Now listen, I recognize some of you are not the type of people that set goals, make resolutions. But for all of us, regardless of whether you see yourself this way, you are prioritizing certain things in your life, whether you are aware of them or not. And this is a moment where you can examine, you can think, and you can set your sights on what the priorities are going to be in your year to come. So no matter whether it's a house fire or a joyous year, you make sure that you leave 2022 with the things that mattered most. That's what I want. The first thing we see is that love for God must be developed in every aspect of who we are. The priority... Of Christian maturity is love for God. The priority of what it looks like for us to be mature people, for us to be godly, for us to be spiritual, the things that we would focus our spiritual practice on, is love for God. It must be developed in every aspect of who we are. You know, it's too often the case that love isn't even on the radar for how we think about spiritual maturity. And so Jesus does something significant here. We could think about the things that, if we said, what makes someone spiritually mature, we could think about the ways people would answer that question. It might be somebody who never misses their quiet time. Someone who's devoted to being at church and serving a lot. We would see that as spiritually mature. Somebody who knows a lot of theological ideas and really understands how to articulate Difficult things from the Bible. You might consider that spiritually mature. Somebody somebody who gives a lot of their resources to charity. There's all kinds of ways we might envision what it means to be spiritually mature. But I want you to see here that Jesus prioritizes something other than the things we just talked about. He makes it clear that the ability to love God is the end goal of all biblical instruction. That love for God and love for our neighbor is the priority and height of maturity for a Christian. That means it becomes the chief thing that we use to evaluate our lives. Our ability to respond to God in a loving way and to exercise love in the relationships He's placed us in is how our maturity is measured. And so that means this cultivation of love for God, Jesus prioritizes as first and foremost as the thing that becomes the priority focus of our lives. He makes it clear that the ability to love God is the end goal of all of the law's training. Perhaps you already know this and simply need to be reminded, but cultivating a love for God and an imitating love of what God loves is the priority focus of every human life. It's what causes a life to flourish. We can see this in a couple of ways. How do we see it? Well, in the text we see that Jesus obviously prioritizes it here by saying that the key interpretive scheme for the law is love. If we want to understand what any given instruction of God is aimed at, it's aimed at training us in love. It's aimed at changing our vision for what it looks like to love. And so, all instruction from God has its end purpose in cultivating love in our souls. Jesus clearly shows that that's the end priority. It's the thing that all of that instruction is intended to cultivate and lead to. So whatever is instructed by God has the end goal of producing love in some manner. Then we see also, how do we see this priority? Well, Jesus quotes the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is not an unfamiliar thing. This was most often, almost on a daily basis by Jewish people, this passage that Jesus quotes from would have been recited as a part of their regular prayers. And it begins by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, let me back up, Lord, there, all caps in the Old Testament. Jehovah, the God who has given us his name, who has told us who he is. Jehovah, our God, the one that has called us into this relationship. The Lord, that Lord is one. He's one. Well, what does it mean that he's one? Well, it means that he's alone. (laughs) He stands by himself. There's only, he's in a category of one. There's no other in the series of God. There's just one. He stands apart and He stands above all other things that are made because He's the only one who is uncreated in the source that produces everything else. That means He's in a category of His own and when He calls us into relationship with Him, what what belongs to Him, what He has made for us, what He says about us, how He defines our life, what He speaks over our life, that is what matters most. Well, think about that. There's only one being in the universe like God. He stands alone as the highest worth and excellence. There is nothing else that merits a higher focus when it comes to, to all when it comes to any rivals, he stands alone on the podium as worthy of our attention and affection. I mean, let's just take a look back and ask whether that was expressed in the priorities of our lives over the recent few months and years? Does it appear in your life as though God stands alone, worthy of your attention and affection? I mean, could the case be made with the decisions that you've made, the way you've apportioned your time, the things that you've emphasized, that you understand that the Lord, our God, the Lord is one That means that whatever we do this year, we should have as our highest priority the worship of God that produces in us the love of God. Which means when we engage in those things that help us most clearly discover and see the worth of God so that our love for Him grows in depth, we are, ga- we are engaging in the most important things. It's our responsibility to relate everything in life back to this and aim everything about our life for it. Worship of Him is the priority of our attention. That's because we're told that God is the definition and embodiment of love. You know, when the the Scriptures grasp at a way to describe the overarching character of God, The Apostle John in 1 John says God is love. Love permeates the being of God. It animates everything that He does. It's what we will find most attractive about Him when we really see Him for who He is. is the marvelous nature of God's love for His creatures. It's almost unfathomable if we see it for what it is. The rest of the New Testament affirms that this is what Jesus meant. James calls the command to love the royal law. The Apostle John says that as a result of God's faithful love for us, our chief calling is to love him and love one another. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says that every great thing we could possibly imagine doing is worthless unless at its core it's an act of love. So if you've forgotten the chief aim of your life, it's, it is to develop a deep abiding love for God that is expressed in ongoing love for those around you. Jesus makes it clear that the ability to love God is the end goal of the law's training and of every instruction from God. Love for God must be developed in every aspect of who we are. But now, before we leave that idea, let's see another thing that's really made clear in this section. Jesus also makes it clear that the ability to love God must be developed in all our capacities. So if loving God is the priority of our life, something that Jesus does here is he shows us that this capacity for us to respond to God in love, our ability to love God must be developed in every human capacity that we've been given. Now think about how Jesus says this in chapter 12 and his answer and what he emphasizes here. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with. You see that? There are things that we utilize to love God. Things that have been given by God for us to respond to him in love. God has created us with a multitude of capacities and aspects to our life that are to be developed and shaped and marshaled to respond to Him in worshipful love. He mentions four here. He talks about our strength, our heart, our soul, our mind. And so what we really see is that it must be developed in all of our capacities here's where I think we can get some help from the insight of Jesus and experience some insight that would be significant for us as we think about spiritual growth for this coming year once we get the right goal we need to understand some things about how God has made us and include those in planning to develop love in all of our capacities one of the things that people notice in this passage is that Jesus breaks out for us some specific aspects of our makeup as human beings and says that we need to love God with the, that entire aspect of our life. There's an emphasis on all in the text. Look at it with me. Beginning in verse 34, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your your strength. That is how important it is. Have you ever considered that as a human being, you are an interconnected set of parts that are critical to the whole functioning in the way that it was purposed? Let me try to make that clear. Let's suppose you go out and buy a car. Some of you may be shopping for a car right now. What's the most important thing you should look for in a car? Amen? Amen? it works he stole my line already you know some people might say you should look for fuel efficiency some people might say the engine some people might say the transmission others strangely might say the sound system or the size of the tires but the truth is it doesn't matter necessarily what features you deem important because the car will not drive well unless all the important functions work unless every, every part of them work in some significant way, it doesn't really matter if some of the other features are really good. I mean, think about it. Imagine someone, someone wants to sell you a car with a great engine and sound system, but the transmission is bad. Well, it doesn't matter, does it? There are several problems in a car that can make it undrivable, And even if you have some great features, all the main parts have to work for it really to function. We were on our way home from Christmas break a few years ago, and we forgot about a significant part of what makes a car function. Gasoline. We were nearing home, and I was thinking we were going to make it, and I didn't notice that the light had come on. And we crested the hill right there in Lorton, you know, where you can start to come across the Occoquan, and we just didn't make it to the top. We just landed right there. And uh, we had to call Jennifer Clifton. She had the biggest van possible to be able to pick us all up and help us figure it out. I thought the car had broken down, to be honest. But it turns out you can have a perfectly well-functioning vehicle if you forget the gas, it won't work. All the parts are interrelated, aren't they? There's not much value when certain aspects of it are neglected. Well, Jesus wants us to see in this passage that a divided devotion or weakness in one part of who we are will undermine the ability for our whole being to love God. That that if we neglect the love of God in some aspect of our life in a significant way, or it remains underdeveloped or untouched, what happens is eventually that area of our life will undermine significantly our ability to live a life that is focused on loving God. Let me just help us see it. The ideas that populate our mind impact our ability to love. He says we're to love God with all of our mind. Well, the ideas that populate our mind impact our ability to love. Bad ideas about God. Bad ideas about ourselves. Bad ideas about what is really wrong with the world. Bad ideas about what makes us flourish. Bad ideas about our work. Bad ideas about success. Bad ideas about where our hope lies. Bad ideas about the importance of spiritual community. Bad ideas about our responsibility to one another and our neighbors. Bad ideas about the Bible. Bad ideas about marriage. Bad ideas undermine love. They make us inoperable. And some of us have not taken the time to develop clear biblical thoughts about these areas of life in a significant way. And so we carry bad ideas that we are using to think about our lives it undermines love the emotions that fill our hearts impact our ability to love the bible describes a pretty complex inner life the psalms have 150 chapters of poetry and music that are in part an attempt to sort out how we relate our inner life to god many christians remain by and large unaware of the roots of their emotional life and the movements of their own hearts that are driving more of their decisions and priorities than they would ever like to admit. What are the roots of that dominant anger? What are the roots of your fear? What are the roots of that sense of cynicism that has captured your attention? What are the roots of that guilt and shame that plays an inordinately large role in your life? What is driving that pursuit for recognition? The one that you'll set aside all sorts of other important things to achieve. What is driving that pursuit of honor? Or respect? What's driving that deep need for affirmation? That you can't take being disagreed with. What's driving that Desire for comfort or security. All of which undermine our ability to love. We don't want to talk about our inner life. It's messy. We don't understand it. It's difficult. Maybe you've been taught to ignore your feelings (laughs) because they can trip you up from doing what's right. Right but in my experience pastorally, I've seen that more people that ignore their feelings, eventually their feelings overcome their principles, even if they're unaware of how they're being driven by them. You see, we don't do any benefit by ignoring the inner realities and movements of our life. These are the inner realities that often animate our decisions and override our principles or ideas. We must pursue love for God that understands and orders our inner life and emotions rather than ignores them. Neglecting to do so will undermine love. How this year can you love God with a whole heart that is divided and ravaged by emotions that are overpowering your ability to make good decisions? The emotions that fill our hearts impact our ability to love. The stewardship of our physical bodies impacts our ability to love. The use of strength here is primarily a focus on our physical capabilities. Many of the challenges we face can be rooted in the general health of our physical bodies. God made us as embodied people and our strength in most regards is stored up physically and used in that way. Our bodily life is a stewardship from God that can impact all the other areas in massive ways. We often, when we think of spirituality, we just ignore physical realities. But see, Jesus says that we are to be an integrated person who's healthy and always stewarding all of the things that God has blessed us with in a stewardship of love. Now, truth be told, we all have different levels of overall health. And we all have different situations that we may be facing when it comes to our physical strength. But our responsibility is to steward the health of our bodies with proper rest, addressing unhealthy patterns, seeking to care for our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit, and not neglecting to do so as we seek to love God with all of our strength. This isn't about comparing the strength of one person to another, but recognizing that the physical strength that God has given you, He has given you to steward so that you can be in the position to serve and love other people as best as you can, and to respond to the physical challenges that you may face in a way that receives them from God and turns them back to God as prayer and worship and recognizes the responsibility to steward them as an act of love. We see those three. And then he talks about the soul. You see, the processing of our experiences in our soul impacts our ability to love. Now, the soul is often used in Scripture to represent the integrating part of us that takes all the pieces of our life and integrates them into something that's unified in a sense of identity, the processing center for it all. The mind, the heart, the body, the social relationships, all processed together as one life in our soul. It takes the theoretical ideas and experiences that we have and and it understands them, interprets them and makes a life out of them using ideas, how we feel in response to them, observing the social relationships and integrates that together in a way that we're one person responding to life out of love for God. This is what our soul does. And some experiences in life can present such a challenge and pain that we just decide to ignore them, don't we? I don't know what to think about that. I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know what to decide about that. When I do, it overcomes me. I mean, think about all the ways that we have experiences, and some of you may be in pointed ways, marked in the present by a powerful experience the past. Maybe you're marked in the present by an incredibly difficult set of circumstances you're facing now. And it's been easy just to sort of just grin and bear it. To not look at it. To keep plowing. To pretend it will go away. Whether it's a past experience or a present situation... Loving God with all our soul means at least in part coming to understand the circumstances and experiences that are affecting our lives from a fresh and godly perspective of faith. Some of us have been through experiences we would rather not talk about but are silently plaguing the rest of our lives and inhibiting our ability to love. Since all of these capacities are interrelated in each person, it means that the weakness we possess in one area can easily undercut our solid strengths in other areas of our life. Loving God with all these areas means bringing the whole of our life before him for transformation. This is the vision that Jesus points out to us, that all of life is to be aimed at God. He alone deserves our worship. And we're to be cultivating a genuine love in every aspect. Now, before we finish this up, Jesus ties something together in case we think a spiritual life is somehow just a matter of internal, individual relating to God. Some people think of it this way, don't they? That to be really spiritual, what we would do is separate ourselves from everything around us. Now, there's something good about separating ourselves from time to dwell with God, to commune with God but there's also this clear instruction from God that our real spirituality is played out on the field of our relationships that are nearest to us in life. And so we see Jesus can't really answer the question, what is the greatest commandment, without answering it with a second. He doesn't even bother to just say, this one's the greatest. He says, there's also a second greatest. There's a Kobe Bryant. Right? Right? I mean, Michael Jordan is the greatest. He can't mention the one without the other. And so he, he elevates, in a sense, into the conversation, the relationships that we have with the people that live nearest to us. And so we see the second thing here is that love for others must be developed in our nearest relationships. So while love for God, we have this requirement to develop it in all of our capacities, that this ability to love God and to respond to God in all of our capacities then flows into the assignment to love one another clearly, And particularly, he says, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so love for others must be developed if we are going to prioritize what Jesus prioritizes for our spiritual maturity. You know, the inability to love the people God places near our lives is too often tolerated rather than addressed. We are formed by the relationships that we often cultivate. I don't know if you've given much consideration to it but the relationships that you are cultivating nearest to you are forming your lives in ways you may not ever even be able to tell that means we have powerful decisions to make about what how we go about developing those relationships that those relationships are part of our worship to God and part of the ways that we are also formed and shaped by God as we give and take in a community of love and so love for others must be developed in those nearest relationship. We are formed by the relationships we cultivate, and these relationships both shape us and they reflect back to us our real spiritual condition. Here are a couple things we can gain in, as far as insight from what Jesus teaches us here. First, we see that we have a responsibility to love the people nearest to our lives. Listen, the world is full of social problems that are complex. Can I get an amen? I feel like we've been faced with our own weakness to solve them in the recent history. And if you haven't noticed, listen, one of the things you can observe is that, that we are tempted to get caught up in the theories of how the whole society can be fixed, right? Right? This is what we call politics. Politics is thinking about how the whole society can be fixed without considering what our responsibility is to those who are nearest to us. It's a lot easier to talk about things on a large scale in that affect people over there than it is to simply love the people who are near. In fact, sometimes, because of how difficult it is to love the people who are nearest to us, we might be tempted to spend all of our time thinking about how to fix the problems that are furthest away. This is what we do. We're often tempted to do this. Our ability to love is not first and foremost seen in our political positions that we carry or our views about how society can get themselves in line but in the quality of the relationships that we cultivate in our home with our neighbors in our community in our places of work where we make a real difference You see, he says that we have this responsibility to love our neighbors, to love the people that God has placed nearest in our lives. You know, the book of Acts in chapter 17 tells us that God has put the boundaries on our seasons and times. That means God has also determined the people that are closest around you. God has determined the relationships that are nearest to your life as a way of developing the opportunity for you to learn to love. And often we would rather go seeking a way to love someone at a distance than we would focusing the necessary energy of developing genuine love, cultivating real loving relationships in the places that we show up to every day. It's a lot harder. But love is, by and large, a local experience. It's easier to appear to love people who are a safe distance away. But we are faced with a different need for growth when it comes to the people that are all up in our lives at all times and unavoidable. We have a responsibility to them. Jesus shows us that we actually already, you you might feel a sense, like, how do you start with that? What is it? What needs to shift in the way, I think? But Jesus actually gives us another insight here. He says that we're already, by and large, equipped with imagining what it would look like to love them because we have the ability to imagine what it would look like to love ourselves. You see, that's what he means when he tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's a matter of priority. We know how to prioritize making sure that our needs, our desires, our ambitions the things that will make us flourish, how to make sure they get emphasized. We know how to do that. We know how to advocate for ourselves. And so he says we can take that same energy and we can use our imagination about how it is we might begin to relate to other people as though their needs, their desires, their ambitions, what would make them flourish are just as important as the ones that we care about for ourselves. That, that that becomes a way in which we don't need a ton of deep philosophical training in love to be able to begin the work of loving the people that are nearest to us, but we need to take the responsibility as a command from God to cultivate this kind of love in the relationships that we already have. I mean, have you stopped to evaluate recently how you might love your spouse? in the way that you desire to be loved with the, and let me say it again with the same priority <laughs> with the same understanding of what what is really needed with the same insight into your situations have you spent any time considering that and then acting on it <laughs> taking the vulnerable risk of beginning to create a new pattern to see it happen in your life. Listen, maybe you've learned to retreat to corners with the people that are closest with you. Because coming out in love and creating that kind of depth of relationship, it brings out old pains and fears and weaknesses. Weaknesses that haven't yet been restored by the power of the gospel. And so it's easier to to retreat to our corners and forget about the assignment to love our neighbor as ourselves because we've got an excuse that, well, that didn't work. It won't work. It doesn't. I'm not sure how. I'm afraid of what will happen. They're not caring for me. I mean, think of all the things we can come up with, right? But Jesus doesn't tell us to concern ourselves with those things. He says... Love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe it would simplify our priorities this year if we just kind of cut through all those excuses that we have. And we said, God, how do you want to shape me this year? Jesus already told us. Receive the assignment and consecrate yourself to it. Devote yourself to this. Get on with loving others is again a statement of priority, the way we advocate for one another. So armed with this, armed with this passage and these insights, I think we can take aim at a whole set of things that can contribute to a genuine love for God. No one of us probably has the same needs to prioritize these things in our life, but there's lots of ways we can imagine we need to be shaped and cultivated in love. And and really, as we think about what it would mean to live our lives faithfully, spiritually this year, we've got two options for the development of our spiritual practices as we look at 2022. The first one is addressed in the passage. We can ritualistically be just religiously sacrificial. We can decide that, that rather than cultivating love in our relationships and a love for God in every aspect of our life, which sounds difficult and rather extreme, we can just every now and then do something that looks sacrificial religiously and hope we're good with God. That's an option, right? And before we just blow that aside, this is what most often happens when people decide they want to be spiritual. It's a lot easy to embrace symbols of spirituality rather than the substance of the kingdom. He says it in this passage. When the scribe responds, he says, You're right, teacher, which I've always thought that's a weird thing to say to Jesus. Jesus, you got the answer right. But it's there. You have truly said that He is one and there's no other beside Him. And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. Look at 1 Samuel. To obey is better than to sacrifice, which we've just learned would mean to cultivate love in every aspect of our life would be better than to make sacrifices. And so we can symbolically do some stretches, flexes spiritually. We can spiritually flex in some areas and neglect the priority that Jesus has given us. Or we can devote ourselves to love. We can devote ourselves to thinking about our life and prioritizing The development and cultivation of love for God and love for our neighbor in our everyday life. Here are some ideas I came up with that take all these into account, the things that we've considered. You can just steal some of these and make them particular to you. Love God with your mind by reading the Bible regularly and thoughtfully this year. Strengthen your biblical vision with some reading that roots you in solid biblical theology. Any of our elders would be glad to help recommend things that would root you in really understanding the faith Well, populate your ideas with that, Two, A third one, pay attention to the strong emotions in your life and begin to journal about them. Make a goal to talk with a spiritually mature person about the roots of the emotions that are most present in your life. Number four, prioritize focused worship of God with His people in your life this year. Make a decision that you are going to gather for worship with God's people on every Sunday of this year unless there is a reason you can't possibly be here. That may seem like a small thing. But God uses moments of teaching to shape our lives and moments of focus and worship to call us to consecration. Number five, make a plan to address the difficult circumstances or experiences of your past that are are inhibiting you from seeing God clearly and loving others. Number six, identify any barriers you have to physical health and make a plan to address them. Number seven, get to know your neighbors and figure out how you can best love them. Number eight, establish some relationships with godly Christians that can help you grow in your faith. Number nine, be disciplined about times of prayer and reflection so that you have space to learn to pray. Number ten, join a life group even though it may be inconvenient with the time and the place, the consistency. Number 11, come to Pillar on Mission, the dinner, next Saturday night, 6.30 p.m., right here. Plan to go overseas on one of our mission support trips and see the way that God is at work in some other context. Be stretched beyond your own present understanding of what God is doing. I mean, these were just ways, uh, easy to ring off when we think about developing all of our capacities, that you can begin to do these things. But, but here, you can look and go, what area would God be calling me to develop this year? What needs to be the priority so at the end of the year, I've drawn near to the Lord, sense of deepened love for God, joy in loving those who are closest around me. All of these things would be better than Just a few flexing sacrificial moments. The reason Jesus says he's close to the kingdom is because he's no longer concerned about the propped up sacrificial system going on in Jerusalem that Jesus has said was meant and intended to point to him and he was about to fulfill. You see, the reason we don't need to make spiritual sacrifices as our priority is because Jesus was our sacrifice. That we don't need to do any of these things to gain the love of God, but as a reflection of developing into people who love God in return, because Jesus was the sacrifice for us. Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices so that we could receive confidently the love of God and be shaped by His love to become people who are mature in His kingdom. And today I just want you to know if you feel burdened by the thought of having to shape out another year to try to become something that you're unsure you want to even become in the end the first thing you need to do is know that the love of God abides over those who entrust themselves to Christ. That He has been shepherding your life. He has purposes for you. His love shines over you. And that there's nothing you could do this year to gain God's love. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died to pay for our sins. He lived an obedient life to be able to merit for us the grace of God. So that we could be people who receive mercy with confidence and respond to the amazing love of God that would cover our sins and invite us home though we had dishonored Him and wandered away. And so beginning this year, we don't pursue being loved by God. We pursue loving God. We already have the first. And the second is an opportunity to experience the ever-increasing depths of walking with Him. I hope you'll receive that invitation and in some way begin to cultivate that maturity in your life. Would you bow with me? Lord, we thank You for this day and as we consider these things, Lord, we pray that You would give us vision for the coming year in our life. Lord, I pray that, that Lord, if we've been stagnant and we've been drifting and floating, Lord, that You would cause us to set our eyes on You. Lord, that You would stir our hearts to cultivate and develop lives of love in every aspect. Lord, I pray that You would fix our hearts firmly on the confident truth of the gospel. Lord, that our sins have been covered, that we have been forgiven, that we are accepted and received, and that our work doesn't earn your love. Lord, it's just a response to being fueled and strengthened and nourished by the abundance of the love you've already given. So Lord, help us to learn to love like you, to pour out our hearts and lives for what Is dearest and close to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, we're